Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Part 20, y'all, we're in chapter 12, part 2. We might finish tonight. If I can shut up and get going, we might just finish the book of Daniel tonight. So, let's say a prayer. We'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God. I pray that, God, through these prophecies from so many years ago, God, you could minister to us tonight here in Prairieville, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. We are in verse 3. So we did introduce chapter 12, and we're early on, and maybe we can get through this. Verse number 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So I want to I want to go through this verse a little bit. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Those who live in God's wisdom, the wise, will shine. Despite the disaster that's going on all around this verse, the disaster that's coming on Israel, God has those who are wise and they will shine. Folks, no matter what's going on, no matter what the church seems to be doing or not doing, God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. In the dark ages, God had a remnant. When, 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 when the, the popes were going crazy, God had a remnant. God always has a remnant. And those who turn many to righteousness are like the stars, it says. So here, the wise among God's people are those who turn many to righteousness. And this really fits across the board. This is a principle that fits across the board. If it's in the great tribulation or if it's right here and right now, the wise shine. They turn many to righteousness. It's the Matthew 10, 16 principle. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. It takes wisdom to turn or to get someone to turn to the Lord, to get someone to repent. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is what? Is wise. It takes wisdom. To get anybody to turn, you got to be wise. Soul winners are not stupid. Soul winners are not unwise. They're wily. They're wily. They're like a snake. They are. I I, I remember last summer, uh, I I was in my front yard, and I, I got out of my car, and I was piddling around, picking up some stuff, and I looked in this bush, and I saw something shiny. And you guessed it. It was a snake. Old sucker looked, just blended right in, had no idea, slithering around. I'll never forget a couple of summers ago, Valerie was out of town, and there was a ladies' meeting at our house. And so Wendy was going to come over and get things ready, and then all the ladies were piling up in the house and doing this big ladies' meeting, and 
I was in the way. I, I had to leave before they got there. And so I was just about to walk out the door before anybody got there. And I hear a commotion in my front yard. And I, I looked out the window, and all my neighbors were in my front yard. They were in my driveway. They, they were almost to my front door. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? So I open the door, walk out, and there's my neighbor, Chris. And, and Chris, I said, uh, what's going on, everybody? And they're like, we didn't know you were home. I said, well, okay, well, what's going on? And they said, look over here. And I looked, and there was about a six- or seven-foot snake about this long with his head <laughs> cut off, thank God. Chris decapitated the snake. And, and he was laid out, bleeding all over the place. And he was, he was parked right, bes he was laying up right beside the driveway where Miss Cynthia would have driven up and parked and gotten out and stepped on that thing. And I thought, dear Lord, I'm so glad. First of all, I'm so glad that Chris killed the snake and I didn't have to, right? He found him, killed him, but it was, it was wild. Snakes are just creepy, right? They're sneaky. Soul winners are creepy like that. Not weird, but the ability to blend and sneak and win you without you even realizing you're getting one. Remember the jungle book? Remember that snake? Like, you know, trying to hypnotize Ka, what? Ka, the snake trying to hypnotize. Soul winners are wise. They're wise. Somebody's like, I want to be a soul winner. And then you're throwing gospel bombs on people. Blowing them up. Sending them, you know, they run away from you. Ah! And you're like, well, I'm just telling you the truth. Telling it like it is. You know, Mary Poppins said a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, you know. I don't know why I'm going on all this direction tonight. It's not, it's not my intention. It's not in my nose anywhere. Uh, soul winners are wise, though. God's people are like stars. They radiate light and help others to see the way, the truth, the life. In John 8, 12, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 14, he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so I, I've got some soul winning experience, but you hear what I'm saying. I want to be a better soul winner than I've ever been. Amen. I want to get better and better. I want to be a better Bible study teacher than I've ever been. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is first and people do matter. And I'm on a mission to get Jesus to people. And I need wisdom to do that, y'all. I, I got to reach the religious people. I got to reach the, the irreligious people. I, I want to reach people of all cultures and ethnicities. I've got to be wise and I want to be better at being a soul winner. I've got to learn how to do soul winning in, in the COVID era. What's it look like? How does that work? I hadn't figured it out yet, but I'm praying and I'm asking God and I'm on a mission, y'all, to figure it out. I want to be wise as a soul winner. Soul winners are wise. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom. God's covenant people, whoever they are, whenever they are, they shine. They shine brightly. They help others see the way. They help others turn to righteousness. And if, if they're wise about it, and if they let their light shine, they'll turn many to righteousness. Many to righteousness. 
And post-rapture, this verse could have its most specific application in Revelation 7, where you have the 144,000 evangelists from Israel's tribes during the Great Tribulation. And, and that's where we are in, in our study. Now, notice that they, they will shine forever and ever. This, the brightness of God's wise ones who turn many to righteousness lasts forever. It never fades. It endures. There are five crowns mentioned in the Bible, specifically like reward-type crowns mentioned in, in the New Testament. And one of them theologians call the soul winner's crown. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Listen to this. For what is our hope, Paul says, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. I want to have a soul winner's crown. When he comes back, I want people to go up and, and, and I, want to, I want to be able to have had a part in getting them to Jesus. Don't you? I told y'all, I came from a hardcore evangelism church, y'all. And, and we, we got to get better at this. Some of y'all used to be good soul winners. What happened? Some of y'all were witnesses, letting your light shine. Now you seem to have a basket over it. I, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying, we got to get back in the game. It ain't over, y'all. There's a lost and dying world out there more than ever. And the church, it's time to shine. It's trying to be wise. Man, we got to figure out this culture and we got to connect and we got to win people to Jesus. Forever and ever. Guzik says, we put our efforts into so many other things that even if they do succeed, they only give a temporary shine. I washed my car today. It's a rare thing, y'all, but I washed my car today. But it's a temporary shine. You go get it, your car waxed up, it's just a temporary shine. We're talking about a crown that will shine forever, a glow that will, will last forever. When you invest your life into things that last forever and ever and ever, that, that shine will last forever and ever and ever. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Shut up the words, seal the book. So here you have the idea of shutting up the words, the, the words that now would be kept safely until the time they're needed for, for the generation that they will apply to. Seal the book. It's a reference to authenticating the message with a seal, like sealed. The king seals the book, but it's also for preserving it until the time of the end. Daniel's prophecy was, of course, of value to him in his own day and to his generation and to the generations between now and then. But there would come a day, the time of the end, when the prophecies in this book would become even more important. Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Listen to this. In 1825, Adam Clark, a, a famous theologian, said this. 1825, he said this. We must wait till the time of the end, and this, it appears from the following calculations, will not arrive before the 20th century. 
we here see the reason why these prophecies are at present so imperfectly understood. God has sealed them. And he looked forward to the 20th century. Here we are in the 21st century. But things started happening, popping in the 20th century. Uh, let me give you one of them right now. Israel became a nation. And don't think for a moment that what just happened with the Abraham Accords doesn't have some kind of effect on Bible prophecy. It's not the result of Bible prophecy. When they say peace, peace, right? There's, there's something to it. So sealed up until the time of the end. Listen to what Sir Isaac, did I show that picture of Adam Clark? L listen to Sir Isaac Newton. L look at Sir Isaac Newton here. This reminded me of my hair during the lockdown. <laughs> He's been in quarantine. That's how I felt, man. My hair kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> that's kind of what I used to look like in Nashville, but that's another story. Sir Isaac Newton said in the 1700s, seven, so 1825 Adam Clark, 1700 Sir Isaac Newton, he said about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. These guys had some foresight. They understood some things that we need to understand. Y'all, we're living in the last days. And we've been in the last days for a while. Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out, of, pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. So Joel 2 was, you have that really that whole messianic age from Christ into the church. That's the beginning of the last days. And we're in the last of the last days. So we should even be more in tune what's going on with the word. And I think we are. Notice what the scripture says. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel describes a characteristic of the end time. And, and some people take this prediction to be two predictions for the end times. Running to and fro, like we could travel now by air and train and boat and whatever. We do all these things. I guess they could have traveled by boat back then too. But, you know, we can go all over the world. And, and some of us, you know, we love to travel. But, you know, we've not been able to travel in the last little bit here. But that's the idea. Some will take it too. Running to and fro meaning to travel and knowledge shall increase. Like there's an information explosion. But I'm convinced it's speaking of one prediction. In other words, many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. In the end times, there will be an increase in the search for knowledge. And the ability to search for knowledge. Now, when I was in school, when I was a kid, let me tell you how I searched for knowledge. I have a picture right here. The Encyclopedia Britannica, or the other one. And, and there were salesmen. There was an industry, Troy. You could make big money. You could make bank being an encyclopedia salesman. Go door to door. Uh, do you want your kids to be stupid or do you want them to be smart? It's well worth the investment. We have these lovely encyclopedias for $1,245. And, and so they would sell inside. It was an industry. Now I can search for knowledge at, at the click of a button. It's called Google. And that's a vintage Google screen. Anybody remember that one? Google. You want to talk about the ability 
to run to and fro and increase knowledge, meaningless knowledge at times. Wesley Barber, he used to be the world's worst. He'd call me. It was like, man, I kind of fell in the YouTube rabbit hole. And he was like, tell me something he learned and discovered, you know, uh, from, from the YouTube rabbit hole. The ability to learn, to search for knowledge. It's crazy. It's crazy. People are like, well, I changed my brakes today. Have you ever changed brakes before? No, but I YouTubed it. I YouTubed it. You think it's safe? Oh, yeah, perfect. You know, perfect. You can just do so much. You can search for knowledge. So that's an in, a sign of the times. Knowledge would increase. People running to and fro. Now, here's an interesting thought. One theologian says the idea is that people would run about trying to find answers to important questions, especially in reference to future events. Another theologian said this, the correct sense is that many shall search it through and through and that as a consequence, knowledge of the book itself shall be increased. The idea is this, when end time events begin to unfold, there's an interest in end time events, Bible prophecy. So shut up the words and seal the book. So from Daniel 11.36 to Daniel 12.3, where we are right now, we see a world ruler who utterly opposes God, a world religion based on the abomination of desolation, a world war which will defeat the Antichrist, a time of great tribulation for Israel lasting three and a half years, uh, half the seven-year tribulation, deliverance for the people of God after the tribulation, resurrection and judgment, uh, and the reward of righteousness, or right, of the righteous, the reward of the righteous. And, and, and you can look at Hebrews 6, which, which are, you see the resurrection uh, from the dead and judgment that is to come and the reward of the righteous. You can see that in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. I won't take the time to look there. But, but there's a lot going on here. We've looked at some of this before. There's some recapping going on. Let's go to verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this riverbank, the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was, above, who was above the waters of the river. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. We've seen this before. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So... What does that mean? Two others on the riverbank and the other on uh, that riverbank. Daniel's back to the riverbank. He started Daniel 10.4. Those visions, he was on the riverbank. He, he was at Bayou Lafouche. You know, he's on the diversion canal. He's not really, but he was, he was on the, the riverbank there. And, and one said to the man clothed in linen, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? So, it, it, it looks like these other men on the riverbank were angels as well. It looks like angels talking to angels. One angel asked the other, not for the benefit of that angel, but so Daniel could hear. And so I think we could know. We're allowed to eavesdrop on the conversation. Ask him this question, how long shall the fulfillment be? And He held up his, his hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, by the Most High God. In a solemn oath. So th there's this announcement of trouble that would last three and a half years of time, times and a half a time. And he swears this oath. It's emphasized by the swearing of an oath, like it's going to be three and a half years. 
And, and he does so while he's above the waters in the river. In other words, he's either walking on the water like Jesus did or he's levitating above the water. But he's, he's above the water, flying above the water. And, and he says <clears throat> it's going to be a three-and-a-half-year period. And, and it speaks of the holy people being completely shattered. Let's look at this. A time, times, and half a time. Three-and-a-half years. We've looked at that a lot. Daniel 7.25 describes it as the period that saints are given into Antichrist's hands. And, and we discussed that in full. You can go back on the podcast, listen to it, and get the details. I, I don't have time to get into it tonight because I'm trying to finish. Daniel 9.27 describes it as a period between the breaking of Antichrist's covenant with Israel and the erection of the abomination of desolation, the establishment of Jesus' kingdom. Daniel 12, 7 describes it as the duration of the time of trouble for Israel. Revelation eleven two describes it as the period the holy city will be tread underfoot by Gentiles. Revelation eleven three describes it as the period of ministry for the two witnesses. Revelation 12, 6 and 12, 14 describes it as the period that Israel, perhaps only a remnant, will be preserved by God in the wilderness. Revelation 13, 5 describes it as the duration of Antichrist's authority to rule, persecute, and blaspheme. Take it all together. We're obviously dealing with the last half of Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation. We don't know a lot about those first three and a half years. We do know the seven years begins with the rapture of the church. I'm convinced of that in pre-trib. And the last half begins with the abomination of desolations at the midway point. Are you with me? When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. The people of Israel will seem completely crushed as these things end. And that's when Messiah returns. Now there's the rapture, but there's the second coming when Messiah comes. I talked about it last week to the Mount of Olives and rescues his people at the Valley of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon. Now let's look at verse 8. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So this gives me great comfort. Daniel, who is just amazing, says, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand. This is me hope, right? You're in good company if you say, I don't understand. What shall be the end of these things? So he's asking this question. Now, it sounds like, he just heard such devastating news when the holy people of God are totally crushed then. And so he's probably shaken up a little bit. And so verses 9 through 13, and he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up, sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Go your way, Daniel. So you just go on. You just go on. Don't worry about it. There's this not just a physical departure. I think the angel is saying, take a break from it mentally. Quit questioning. Details will come. It's not all for you to understand right now. And Daniel had to be content with what he knew at this point. At this point. The words are closed up, sealed to the time of the end. Take a break, Daniel. 
It will be revealed, but probably not during your lifetime. Guzik says we shouldn't think there was no instruction, no blessing, no benefit of these words for any generation until the time of the end. But the meaning of these prophecies would be less mysterious at the time of the end. And I think that there's understanding that we have now they could have never had at that time. For instance, we know about Antiochus Epiphanes, stuff like that. We've talked about it before. We're coming to an end. So we have a massive interest in prophecy in the last days. And really, we've seen that in the last 150 years or so. It's, it's uncanny. The books that have been written when it comes to Bible prophecy. Here, here's an argument. Let me throw this out. Uh, one of the common arguments against us understanding Bible prophecy is this. People will say, well, the early church did not teach what you're teaching. What you're teaching must be wrong because it's relatively new. But the angel said to Daniel that the words are sealed up till the time of the end. We should see things about the end time more clearly than any other generation ahead of us. Because we're the generation for whom it is to be revealed. It, it is time release. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is that proceeds out of his mouth. Give us this day our daily bread. This word of God is revealed as needed. And here we are in this generation needing some revelation and I believe the Holy Spirit is helping us with that. In church history we see that God has successfully had the church focus on specific areas of doctrine at different periods of time. Bear with me for a moment. The further the church got away from the apostolic era, the, the further it got away from truth. Church councils codified doctrines the church became an extension of the state. Truth got locked down. Literally, the Bible was chained to monastery walls so that the common man did not have access to truth itself in the Bible. And the truth was lost to the average Christian and I might say to the institutionalized church that had an agenda of power and money on its mind. And God then began to reveal truth here a little, there a little, like a river of truth with tributaries coming into it and, and making that river expand to where it, it, you have Martin Luther in the 1500s, the beginning of the Reformation, where he gets a, a little light bulb comes on with, with justification by faith. And while Luther has many issues, he did understand the way the institutional church is doing it Something's wrong with this picture. And he got this revelation of the just shall live by faith. That was a, a tributary feeding that river of truth. And the Anabaptists saw believer's baptism instead of child and infant baptism. The Methodists found sanctification. And, and, and it should be no surprise that in the 19th and 20th centuries, about the time of the end, there would be a focus on the doctrine of last things. Because it's the generation for whom it was meant. For whom it was meant. Of course, there were so many truths that were restored. I believe we're living in a day. You hear what I'm saying. I believe God is going to restore apostolic truth. I'm talking about in denominations and churches and, and people that they, they've just been so discombobulated. God's going to bring it all together and the light's going to shine. And it's going to take some wise folks like you and me 
that know how to share that gospel in love and grace and understand, respect what God's done in people's lives thus far, but then encourage them, let me show you something else, and, and trust the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work because I believe it with all my heart. We are, we're going to see revival and resources like never before in these last days. Amen? Amen. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. This is another prediction uh, of, a, of the future. And, and, and it, it, apparently it's pointing to the other side of the cross because of the impeccableness of the purity that's mentioned. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And, and this, this has to do with the, the end times that he's talking about. I think we can see that. Um, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, oh, i gotta, I got to hurry. And comes, uh, uh, and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. We looked at this. This is crazy. This, just, this is so funny when you dive into the minutiae because you see, you see that 1,290 days. We looked at 1,260 days. Time times and half a time, three and a half years is 1,260 days. So what in the world does this mean? 1,290 days. I mean, we just are starting to like, I think I see it. I think I see. And then we have 30 more days. And, 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 and that's, it's not over. It, he goes on, blesses he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. So now we got 1,260 days, three and a half years, mentioned in many places. Then we have 1,290 days mentioned here, and then 1,335 days mentioned here. That's an extra 30 days or an extra 45 days. I'm, I'm like, come on now. Well, here's the deal. Three and a half years, 1,260, 1,290, 1,335. This is my theory. I'm not sure, but it could be this. At 1,260 days, the end of the Great Tribulation, on Mount Sinai, Jesus returns, defeats the Antichrist. When the holy people are crushed, he comes down, rescues them. They look and say, who is this? What are those wounds? These are those that I got in the house of my friends. That's at 1260, end of the three and a half years. And then at 1,290 days, he establishes his government officially. Could be. Because it says of the increase of his government in peace there shall be no end. He, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We will rule and reign with him. Perhaps that's 30 in the next 30 days. And then at, 1200, at 1,335 days, the nations are to be judged. So 45 days after that, the nations will be judged. And you can look at Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But you, Daniel, go your way till the end. I know you're reeling right now, Daniel, but you just don't worry about it. It's all good. And stand with me right now. Adam Clark draws the following points. We looked at his picture. From Daniel 12, 13, every man has his way to go. Every man has an end. There is rest provided for the people of God. There's an inheritance for the people of God. 
At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus told Peter about his destiny. He's going to die as a martyr. Peter wanted to know about John's destiny. What about John? Doesn't that sound like Peter? What about him? Jesus said, none of your business. You just follow me. Here's the deal. In the end times, we, we just have to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. Daniel was not to spend all of his time and energy speculating and worrying about things he couldn't know. Instead, he was to simply obey the word, go his way, and do everything he knew how to do. And I think that's us as well. Here's the bottom line. First of all, we just finished Daniel. We just, I'm, we finished Daniel. Here at LifePoint, we've gone through the book of Revelation. We've gone through the book of Daniel. Wow. Awesome. Uh, but but, but here's, here's the bottom line that I get from our study of the end times. God knows the way that you take. God is in control. Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing surprises God. And you think he can't fix your problem? You think he doesn't know where you are? You think your discouragement has just discouraged him? I want to tell you, it hasn't in the least little bit. He can solve your problem. He can bring peace to your troubled situation. In 1912, Oscar Carl Eliasson, as he was facing the challenge of tuberculosis in his life, a plague, his brother had passed away, he had a collapsed lung, and he wrote these words, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable? God, any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you, be encouraged, beloved, in these last days. God is for you. He's on your side. You don't have to understand every wherefore and whither to in the, in the Bible. You just follow him. You get in that book. You listen to, to, to that, that word. You listen to your pastor. You go to church. But here's the bottom line. You, you just follow him to the best of your ability, and he'll take care of you. When, when times are tough, trust him. When you can't track him, trust him, man. Just put your, your trust in him because he cares for you. Amen? Lift your hands to him right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness and your goodness. Your kindness, Lord. What an awesome, powerful, mighty God you are who knows the end from the beginning who saw it all before it ever happened, who calls things that be not as though they were, who knows how to calm the storm, and who knows how to deliver his people, who knows, Lord, the way that we take, God, who knows we're just dust, just flesh, and yet chooses to cleanse us and anoint us and send us out as sheep among wolves, knowing that a great revival will be accomplished through a church that goes in his name. Amen. Y'all sing that right now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.